Let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we are hungry and ready and needy for your word. God, it comes like some fresh water. It comes like a good night's rest. It comes like a word fitly spoken. God, it comes like just what we need on Sunday mornings. And so, Father, we pray now that you would, you would cause your word to do what, what you cause it to do, that it would be powerful and sharp, that it would cut, God, cut into us, that we would believe, that we would trust in Christ and turn from our sins and live faithful, obedient lives to you for your glory. God, we ask for that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, please turn to the Bible to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. If you did not bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there in front of you, page 926. Mark chapter 3. We're going to look today at a good passage on the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles. And I know that everybody's heard of the 12 apostles, but I'm not sure if anybody in here could name the 12 apostles. You may be able to name like one or three or four or something like that, but do you know all 12 of the apostles? And we're going to look at that today. But I want you to understand what the apostles were for. I want you to be very clear on that. I don't want you to be confused about the Bible and on Jesus' 12 uh, apostles. And then I want to... Uh, to make the simple application through the whole sermon that the, the, the calling of the 12 apostles also carries over to us in our calling. What they were called to do, we are called to do. Now, they had a, they had a speci- specific design, all right? And, and so we are not called to be apostles. But the, the Bible also uh, makes clear to us that the 12 apostles were also disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus. And all of us are to be disciples or followers of Jesus. And so throughout the whole sermon today, I want you to see that what, what, is God, what God has called the apostles to, he has also called us to. Now, a disciple is a student, a student of a teacher. That's what the disciples were. They are followers of Christ, and they had been called out of their sins from their lives, whatever their lives were. And again, there were 12 different lives. They had been called out of them, and now they were to live their lives, regardless of what their jobs were or what their lives looked like. Their lives were to be lived following Christ. It is, it is a, a good and accurate explanation of Christianity, of what a Christian is, is they are followers of Christ. We are not just people who believe certain things, but we are people who believe certain things, and therefore we follow Jesus. It is inconsistent. It is wrong. It is inaccurate. It is sinful for us to say that we are believers, but then not be following that which we say we believe. Or to say that we are believers, and then not be following him who we say we believe. And today we will see this in Mark chapter 3. The other night, Val had sent me on my nightly Walmart run to pick up a few things. Had JJ with me, and we were going to pick up milk, and we were in a hurry. 
and milk is the farthest place away in Walmart, very back corner. And so we went in, and we were hurrying there to get some milk. And when I'm walking fast, JJ's fast walk can't keep up with mine, right? So I'm trucking it through Walmart, trying to hurry up and get to this milk, trying to, trying to beat the line and get us out of there. And we ran into a, an old friend, a familiar face who knew me, but I, I'm not sure if they knew JJ. And they said, well, hey, buddy, who's that behind you? And I, I turned around and said, well, that's, that's J.J., that's my, that's my oldest boy. And um, so they were, they were happy to meet him. I was happy for them to meet him. And, but I got to thinking about that, you know. I was, I was focused in on that milk, and I was hurrying through the store, and I wasn't worrying about J.J. keeping up. But, but he was keeping up. He wasn't right there beside me, maybe a few steps behind. But everywhere I was going, he was going. And there wasn't a chance in the world that he would have just said, see you, Dad, and, and gotten lost. And he was just following me. You know, and that's a simple little example, but I pray that's you with the Lord Jesus. Where he's going, you're going. Where he stands, you'll stand. What he loves, you'll love. What he aims for, you'll aim for. And what I want you to see in the 12 apostles is that God is doing this work in them. It is the call of God on their lives. God calls them and they go do it. And I want us to see that this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. We're going to go all the way to verse 19. 13 through 19. He went up on the mountain, that's Jesus, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We're going to stop there for today and look at these, these verses, 13 through 19. The Gospel of Mark is shifting, as you can tell. Mark has explained to us many miracles that Jesus has done. He has already shown us that Jesus does have authority. We've already seen that Jesus has authority through what he's done. But now, okay, not necessarily in miracles of healings and things of that nature. But now we're going to see the authority. Listen to me. Now we're going to see the authority of God being worked out in a different light in the life of the believer. We're going to see the authority of God coming out in the life of the believer as he's calling them. So I just want to walk through this passage today. A lot of times I'll give you all two points, three points, four points. I don't want to today. I just want to walk through these verses. He went up on the mountain, which is common for Jesus. And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Now, we're not taken back by this. Those who know Christ know this, this is our God. If he says, Josh, come here, Josh comes here. 
Okay? This is what it is when God is calling. And we see this here. Those whom he desired to be his twelve, he called and they came to him. Mark is being crystal clear on how this comes about. All right? When Jesus calls you, you come. And that's what's happening. Jesus, we know, has come to save the world. Jesus has come that he might do the work that God has prepared for him to do of dying on the cross. He must be crucified for our sins. He must be buried. And he must rise again on the third day. He's told us that. He's told them that. He's going to do this. And yet, in that work of him bringing about the salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection, there is another work of telling that message to the world. And while the, 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 the work of salvation, listen to me, could only have been done by Jesus, the work of spreading the message of the work he's done will be done through Jesus' people. And Jesus has a very simple strategy to getting the message to the whole world. It's called discipleship. It's called invest in a few which in turn becomes multiplication. We've said this many times here before, but Jesus never seemed to be thinking, the more the merrier, the more the merrier. If we could get 1,000 here today, or if we could get 10,000 here today, man, we will finally see Fairdale come to know Jesus. And Jesus is, is okay for there just to be a few, 12. He says, give me those 12. He desired them. He called them. They came up the mountain. And for the next three years, we're going to see Jesus pour his life into them. They didn't meet him every Sunday morning for Sunday school so he could give them a 45-minute lesson. They walked with him. They talked with him. They lived with him. They ate with him. They swam with him. They worked with him. They traveled with him. They did life with Jesus for three years. And Jesus shows us that his pouring into them is, is the way he would have them reach the world with the message. And then they were to go out and do the same thing. We see Paul explaining this in 2 Timothy 2 to Timothy. He says, what I have learned, I have now taught you, Timothy. And I want you, Timothy, to teach the, to teach the faithful men that they also would go and teach this to faithful men. All right? So you have Paul speaking about several generations in that one verse, 2 Timothy 2 2. You have Paul uh, presenting to us this idea of multiplication that Paul gave it to Timothy, and Timothy gives it to the next man, and make sure that those men that you're giving it to give it to the next men. And you see it going on. And here it's, it's interesting that Jesus calls these 12. In verse 13, we don't have the 12, but we do have the calling. He desired them, and they came to him. One more thing on verse 13. No other religion in the world comes close to having this. Here we have the scriptures teaching us that God desired them. Do you see that? He desired them. Now, other religions in the world may be somewhat accurate in saying that, yes, God is this big God, and he can do whatever he wants, and he's powerful, and all of these things, and he's distant from us, and all that. And those are parts of the character of God. 
but the glory of Christianity, the only true religion with the only true God, with the only true Savior of the world, Jesus, is that God in his ultimate power, in his strength, which is unparalleled, like we read in Psalm 147 in the beginning, right? That God's snow is too cold for humans. How can we even stand his snow, right? It talks to us about that in the scripture, Psalm 147. Yet God also desires people. His work in the world to bring about his glory and to change lives is not far off hoping that we figure it out. No, God is a hands-on God. God is a personal God. He desires people. He calls people. Those people come to him, and now they live in a relationship with God. Verse 14 shows us that there were 12, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Now, This isn't the first time that we've seen these guys, so you're not to necessarily see that their call to discipleship is equal or synonymous or happening at the same time as the call to... Uh, as the call to, uh, to be an apostle, for we have already seen him call other people. In the beginning, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've seen him call Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We've seen him call Matthew, the tax collector. And so here, this is the call to be an apostle. Now, in verse 14, he tells us what he called them for and what their apostleship would look like. But I don't want to begin there. I want to skip down to verse 16. I want to walk through who they were. Verse 16 says, he appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There's the twelve. And just for clarity and for understanding, I, I want to make some comments here. This is going to seem a little bit more like um, uh, of a lecture, but every once in a while that's, that's good for us in understanding the Word of God, that God may uh, ch- challenge you and encourage you and edify you, and we hope so. There were 12. The Bible is consistent throughout that, that there were 12. All right. Now, you do know that one of the 12 fell away. That's Judas Iscariot, and that gets us down to 11. And then you do know at the very beginning of the book of Acts, the, 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 the believers there said, well, we need to replace Judas Iscariot. So they choose the two best men, and then they cast lots. It ended up with Matthias, and they replaced Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1 with, with Matthias. So now we're back up to 12. And then you know that later on, just a little bit later in Acts chapter 9, God On the road to Damascus, Paul is traveling as a terrorist, hater of Christians, and Jesus appears to him there and calls him and sets him apart to be an apostle. He even says that he's an untimely born apostle. But those are the apostles, and it it, it is always 12. Let me make a few comments about them. The 12 are listed in four places. Matthew chapter 10, here, Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, And then again in Acts chapter 1 verse 13 when they're trying to figure that out. So in Acts chapter 1 verse 13, there are only 11 there because by now Judas Iscariot's gone. And that's the context of where they're going to add in Matthias. But they're listed there. In those lists, they're always in (coughs) very similar order. You have three groups of four almost always. And the first group of four is always 
Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It's always the two sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. And those four are always listed first. And Peter is always listed first out of those four. You see some order here. You have Matthew telling about it, Mark telling about it, Luke telling about it. Luke telling it again as he's the author of Acts in the book of Acts. But it's always that way. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then you get to the next group. The next group of four. And it is, if you look here in the Bible, it is... Uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Now that order may change up a little bit in some of those lists, but those four are always the second four listed. Peter, Andrew, James, and John at the beginning. Um, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas as the second four. And there's no issue there. It's, it's, it's always the same. And then you get to that, that third group of four at the end. And this is where there's somewhat a little bit of, of a discrepancy. Certainly no problems or no errors, but a little bit of a discrepancy. Here in our passage today, it says, James, the son of Alphaeus, then Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. That's here listed in our passage today. But I wanted to get a good understanding of this, and I I don't use the computer much, so I wanted y'all to see. I've got four columns here, one through 12 written out, and all of the names listed out, wanting to make sure that I see this, okay? So the first four are always Simon, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Not exactly in the same order, but always those four. The second four are always Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. Always those four, not necessarily the same order, but always those four. But then you get to this last group, and you have James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Azel, and Judas Iscariot. Well, Judas Iscariot is always there and always the last one. Always. Matthew has him last. Mark has him last. Luke has him last. Acts doesn't even have him. Okay? James, the son of Alphaeus, is always the first one or the ninth one in the lists. Simon the Zealot is always the 11th one in the list. Now, some some versions don't have the word zealot there, okay? They may say the Canaanite or the Canaanite, something like that. But it's always that Simon in the 11th. So it's this 10th name in the 12 apostles that is somewhat different. In our passage here in Mark, it's Thaddeus. In Luke, in Acts, who are written by the same person... It is Judas, the son of James. So it seems that there in the 12, you have two people named Judas, Judas Iscariot, and Judas, the son of James. But according to Matthew and Mark, instead of calling him Judas, they use another name, Thaddeus. Perhaps this was written um, more in context with the hearers, those who would be receiving these letters. But I want you to hear today that if you're reading Matthew or Mark and you see Thaddeus, you're reading Luke or Acts and you see Judas, the son of James, that that's the same person. That's the same person with a different name. Different names in the Bible is not uncommon to us. Simon and Peter are different there. I also want to point out to you that in in John chapter 14, verse 22, where there is not a list of the disciples, that it points out that one of the disciples, Judas, not the one named Iscariot, it says in John 14, 22, letting us know that there was a, an apostle named Judas, but it wasn't Iscariot. So I'm telling you that Judas, the son of James, and Thaddeus are the same person. This is interesting. I want to also point out to you in the, in the, in the, in the 12 that the first four were, from our perspective, the lowliest. Now, we don't know everything about all of them. We don't know a lot about some of them. But the first four were Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And the Bible tells us a whole lot about them. And they were fishermen. 
And you knew that, right? You knew they were fishermen. You've read the passages where Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these guys fishing, and he says to them, come and follow me. And they left their nets, it says, and they came and and followed him. But I also want to point out to you that it's those first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that are the inner circle of Jesus. Those are the ones, as we read the Gospels, who are the very closest to Jesus. Uh, Peter... James and John, minus Andrew, are, are always there. Peter, James, and John are the three guys that are with Jesus the most. There's something interesting to see that here in the list of the 12 apostles, the people that God has called to himself to change the world, it begins with the leadership of the group who are not the most educated, who are not the most impressive, but they are the ones that God has called and now God is pouring into, and they are the ones that will be the leaders. Folks, there is a huge lesson for you to understand about Christianity, church involvement, living your life for God. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And folks, it is so important for us to live this out. Living here in South Louisville, there are needs all around us. And it is very easy in the United States of America for churches, without even thinking about it, to kind of become this, this, this pretty, uppity type thing where, where, where people seem to be wearing their best clothes or, or trying to act like they're putting on a show or act like they don't sin or act like they have it all together or whatever. And next thing you know, without us even thinking about it, that there is a gap between who you are on a Sunday morning and who you are on, say, last night, 12 hours ago, Saturday night. And the Bible wants us to see so clearly that should not be the case. Don't change yourself for Sunday morning worship. Be who you are. Humble yourself before God. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. The world, listen to me, the world has been full, full of powerful, wealthy, high-ranking individuals, kings of nations, and we've never heard of them. But there are a bunch of lowly, humble, uneducated fishermen that God called and used. And for the rest of history, the world knows who they are. Not at all because they were special or because they were qualified, but because Jesus Christ desired them, called them, and they came. A humble soul before God who trusts in Jesus is the most special thing the world can ever see. Not your education and not your clothing, not your money or anything like that. If God has called you to follow him through Christ, then by all means, turn your eyes away from the world, set your eyes upon Jesus and follow him. We see this so clearly with the twelve. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13 The Pharisees say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, listen to this, this is from the Bible, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The world taken back by the lowly, uneducated, ordinary folks living boldly for God. Amen. God doesn't need anything from us. He has all the resources in the world. We are to follow him. So I hope that here, as we've done this, walking through the 12, that some clarity has come. If you go home later and you read the Gospel of Luke and you, and you get to chapter 6 and you're reading through the apostles, I hope that you'll see, okay, I see that. The list really isn't that compound. It isn't that confusing. There's only one name that's different, and I'm telling you that that Thaddeus and Judas, the son of James, is the same person. So now back to our passage, verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. And here in verses 14 and 15... We have Mark telling us why he called them to himself. That they might be with him. Folks, we are really quick to jump to the next one, right? To go out and preach and to cast out demons. But that wasn't what he said first. And if there's any, listen to me, if there's anything in the world where the church has misrepresented God, it is, what can I do for God over and above having God, knowing God, being close to God? The call of God on your life for you to turn from your sins and trust in Christ is the calling for you to say, I know God. I have a relationship with Him. Yes, it is well and good for us to say, what can I do for Him? Yes, it is well and good for us to do all that we do for the glory of God, that we work heartily for the Lord rather than for men. But before any of that happens, we must be people who know him. Notice here that the calling is that they might be with him. Notice in the verse I just read, Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that, these were, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was not that the Bible studies were so good that now they were so sharp. It was not that the stewardship that the Bible had taught them that they were so wealthy, right? It is not that the Bible teaches exercise and health that they were in such good shape. It was that you can tell they've been hanging around Jesus. And we're the same way. You know what happens to me all the time? I have families that talk to me or parents that talk to me and they say that, you know, when, when, when the kid's over at, at his dad's house for just the weekend and then he comes back home to be with the mom for the, for the week, I've had moms say to me before, you know, I kind of have to, like, uh, uh, break him down. That, that first night that he's at home, i got to get him back in order because he goes to his dad's house and starts acting up and it's totally different there, right? Or if it's not the mom and dad because we have to go to different houses, you'll hear things like, I, I don't like him hanging out with them because when, when he's hanging out with them, he just becomes a different person. 
he starts saying these phrases that he wouldn't have said at our house. And we hang around people and we start to act a certain way. We understand that in life. We can tell when our teenagers have been hanging out with the wrong crowd or not hanging out with the wrong crowd, right? We, we rub off on each other. And Jesus, in Discipleship 101 or Apostleship 101, the first mark of us knowing God is that we are with him. We are with him. We spend time with him. You know how occasionally in life you, you just have somebody that you know or that, that you admire and, and they are just cream of the crop, just a fine, fine lady, awesome man. I mean, really some of the best people you know. You run into people like that from time to time. I hope that you have a friend or so like that or, or you know some people who are just, I mean, Mr. Consistency, stability all around, all of that. Well, I, I know some folks that are that way. I know some folks that are that way. And almost always, always, when I hear someone speaking highly of somebody like that, really, really, really praising someone, it is because that man or woman is somebody that you know walks with the Lord. They have a real relationship with Jesus. They read their Bible. They're involved in church. They spend time in prayer. They love people. They're not judgmental. They're able to forgive. They are humbled under the mighty hand of God. They don't think too highly of themselves. They see themselves in light of God. In other words, they have a relationship with him. Almost always, here in Louisville, the people that I would think of that are the finest men and women I know, even when I hear, uh, not for my explanation, when other people are praising them to me, I think to myself, that's because they know the Lord. They know the Lord. God is with them. They spend time with God, and that carries over into how they treat people. It carries over into their work ethic and into their honesty. It carries over into their integrity and into their kindness. It carries over into their life. And I want you to see here that it says, He went up on the mountain. He called those to whom he desired. They came to him. He called them the twelve so that they might be with him. And, and the way we often think about it is, what can I do? Now, it hasn't happened too many times where we've had some visitors come to church and they'll ask me if I can stay around after church. And they'll talk to me. And in their initial conversation, they'll say something like, well, you know, uh, for, for my job, here, here, here's what I do. And, and I, I know that I could help the church do this. And I, I appreciate that effort. But folks, churches are very careful to not have anybody doing anything that does not walk with the Lord. I'd rather us be bad at responsibilities walking with the Lord than good at responsibilities and tasks without the Lord. The world is full of enough skilled people. Folks, our calling, listen to me, is to be the church of Jesus. People who know God. And in knowing God, walking with him, dealing with him, trusting in him, following him, he works himself out of us. Now, neither one of those is the ideal situation, right? The church of God should be the people who know the Lord, walk with him, trust him, and then are looking to serve the Lord. What can I do for God because I have God in me and I'm walking with him, right? But that's what we should be seeing. 
But that's not the only thing he calls them to. It says, so that they might be with him. And then it says, and he might send them out to preach. If you're not careful and you don't read your Bible, sometimes you'll get mistaken about what Christianity is really about, right? And sometimes you'll hear people say that at the end of the day, Christianity is all about just loving and accepting everybody. Well, Christianity is partly about loving and accepting everybody. But in loving and accepting everybody, it is our top, listen to me, top priority to preach the word of God. We would not be okay with this church service today ending early and we did everything without the preaching of the Word of God. We would not be okay with us doing the songs and us doing the hugs and us doing the fellowship and us doing the Lord's Supper and us giving the money if the Word of God were not preached. The very calling, listen to me, the very calling upon the apostles' lives and also on your life is that you would be involved in advancing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. Here's why. Because God made us to worship Him, God made us to trust in Him and live for His glory, and nobody will live for the glory of God in a life that is worshipped to him unless they have come to know that they have sinned against him and that in his love for us, he died for our sins. And in believing that he died for our sins and rose again to life, that is where people find life. There is no life apart from trusting in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. There is no life. And so we have failed people. And you might say that it's loving and accepting people, but if you allow somebody to stay going in the wrong direction without telling them what God tells us to tell them, then we have not ultimately loved them. If I'm moving in the wrong direction and you let me keep going that way but keep saying, good job, buddy, I love you, you're a good guy, keep it up, but I'm just crashing and burning, then you're not loving me, you're ruining me. And this is so important to understand in the world, in the church, and in our homes. If my kids want to cuss me out and fight me and steal from me and do all of that, and I let them and keep telling them how good of a kid they are, I'm ruining them. And so it is in life, in our, in our relationships everywhere. Folks, God is not that way. Jesus, who loves and loves to the point of death, would look somebody in the face and say, no, I'm sorry. You're a snake. A crooked, evil, twisted snake. Jesus says that to people many times. We're scared to. And so everybody keeps being a snake. But Jesus calls somebody a snake so they would say, really? I thought I was good. You need to love me. No, you're a snake, and you need to stop being a snake, and you need to turn to me, and I'll forgive you of your sins. Stop being a snake. The very calling here is that they may go out and preach. Now, I think that you know this. I've said it a hundred times before. When the Bible says that we're to be preaching the gospel, it doesn't mean everybody needs to stand up here and give a sermon. It means that you're to share what the Bible's about. And tonight, as the kids go to bed at your house or the grandkids... You ought to preach your heart out to them with tears. You ought to preach your heart out to your kids with tears. And it can be the simplest little story ever. It can be two minutes long. But preach to them about Jesus. 
you know, one of the things that happens all the time at my house is I walk out in the backyard and the neighbors want to talk. If you step out in the yard on our drive, somebody's going to talk to you, and that's pretty cool. But if our conversation gets to be about Jesus, then it's preaching. Not preachy. Nobody likes preachy. Preaching. Do you know Jesus? How are you going to get right with God? Man, he's good for you. He'll forgive you. He loves you. Life's about God. Those type of little things. He says here that he's called them to preach. Now, I I want you to turn with me to Romans 10, and we're just about done. Romans 10. Now, Paul is explaining how this gospel gets spread, how people come to know Jesus and all that. And at Romans chapter 10, I want you to see verse 14. He's writing about us getting the message. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how how are they going to? How are they going to get saved? I want you to ask for a second. How are your children going to end up in heaven? I want to ask that. Or how are your neighbors or how are your parents going to go to heaven? That's the question. How then will they believe in Jesus? And then he says, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Great question. If they've never heard the gospel of Jesus, that he died for their sins, that's the only way to get right, how are they going to believe it if they've never heard it? Verse 6, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, you do the math. You have to tell them. You have to tell them. I was reading a book last night about a guy who lives in Scotland who's doing a good hard work of planting churches in Scotland. It's really hard. He said he was outside of a, of a, a gymnasium. He had been working out four years ago. Some Christians walked up. He said it was a loving, calm conversation. And over the course of them talking to them about God, they said to him, according to God, you're going to hell if you stay in this position. He said he was hurt. He said he was offended. He said he was angry with them. He said, but four years later, he repented of his sins and trusted in Christ because he couldn't get out of his head that somebody with conviction told him, he's not right and I'm reading the book now of him saying when they told me that that day he said they told me humbly they told me in love this was not a fight they weren't saying burn in hell or anything like that in a loving way they said you're going in the wrong direction he said I couldn't get that out of my head it kind of bothered me that anybody thought that he said the Lord used it and four years later I came to know Jesus Look at verse 17 in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, go back now to Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12, whom he also named the apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he called them to be with him. He called them to go preach And then he also gave them authority to cast out demons. At this point in the gospel, nobody's worried about the authority talk. 
we already know that Jesus has all authority. When you get around Jesus, you understand this man has authority. He tells demons to go away. He tells crippled people to be better. He tells the, the, the winds and the waves to stop. Jesus can do whatever he wants to. He tells five loaves and two fish to become enough to feed thousands. Okay, He can do whatever he wants to do. Nobody questions his authority. If you have authority, then nobody questions your authority. The other day, Noah was eating a cookie. I said, Noah, nobody told you you could have that cookie. He said, Carolina said I could. He said, Car Carolina said that she asked, and she said that y'all said we could have cookies, and, and, and so I'm having a cookie. Well, you've got to make sure that who you're giving authority to has authority. But see, with Jesus, he has authority. We know that. So when he says something, we believe the authority. And here, he now has given them authority to cast out demons. I don't want to say a whole lot here, but we believe that this is a specific gift and calling was limited strictly to the apostles. The apostles are the one who carried around this. Now, can this thing still happen today? Absolutely. If you'll come to our church membership class, we talk about this in, in full detail, wanting you to understand this. But, in a, in a nutshell, God gave these 12 apostles the, the, uh, the authority to cast out demons, okay, this, so that they could be the authority of God. They didn't carry around the New Testament. We have the New Testament, which is the authority of God. Speaking of the 12 apostles, J.C. Ryle says, Our Lord's 12 apostles, beyond doubt, were a distinct order of men. Listen to this. They had no successors when they died. Strictly and literally speaking, there is no such thing as apostolic succession. They were the apostles. They were that group. Once they were done, we had the New Testament. And now the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and we follow it. So we see here. In the beginning of the gospel, Jesus calling these 12 that they might advance the kingdom. I want to remind you, as I've done many times, that this was just about 2,000 years ago. And within 2,000 years, the gospel has spread. We're here in the USA. It's come all the way across the Atlantic Ocean because of these 12 taking it out. Because of it spreading. I want to ask you if you have been called by God to follow him. I want to ask you if you understand that in Jesus calling you to salvation, to repent of your sins and to trust in him, Jesus has called you to make your life totally about God. And if our lives are not to be totally about God, then we have to wonder, has God called us or have we just tried to better ourselves by using God? If somebody has not responded to God's call then we do not see their life being all about God it is possible for you to start coming to church and get involved and not be surrendered to the Lord Jesus and it is it is possible for you to think that you are uh, following Christ but you're not doing it according to his word and so there is lots of confusion and misunderstanding may we see here today as he shows us in a very very small picture that when he calls somebody, it is first to be with him. Then it is to go out and spread the message of him. In other words, he has changed my life. He can change yours. He has forgiven my sins. He can forgive yours. I have found a peace that surpasses all understanding. You can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I know God and you can too. 
follow Jesus. I want to tell you this quote, and I'll close with this. A man named Abraham Kuyper. He says, He is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. He is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. To which I add, you know who does that? Those are who, are who are already close to God. Those who are already close to God. May we be a church that's not so much worried about the, the big time stuff. But may we be a church where every one of us, I mean you all, you all, are following Jesus. That he has called you to follow him and you follow. And in doing that, you're close to him and we will make him known. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for the 12 apostles. This ragtag bunch of men that you have used to change the world. Oh, Father, we ask that you would make us a group of people who aren't so much qualified to change the world, but we know the God who can. And yet, Father, our desire is that you would start here in Fairdale. And God, we pray that you would use us for many people to find you. May it be because they see in us that we know you. We ask for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.